one of my favorite stories I've seen all year. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis flew 50 immigrants into the rich and wealthy East Coast town, Martha's Vineyard. This town's inhabited by wealthy Democrats who love slogans like, everybody is welcome here, no human is illegal, but we saw how much those slogans were worth on Friday as the immigrants that DeSantis sent their way were rounded up and relocated from Martha's Vineyard within 48 hours. That was all they were willing to have a bunch of non-citizens wandering around their community. And yet, they seem to have no problem with immigrants pouring into Texas and Florida. They criticized the governors of border states for deporting some of the millions of immigrants that they take in. But when a few busloads are sent to liberal cities like New York or Chicago or Washington, D.C. or Martha's Vineyard, they just lose their mind at being expected to integrate them into their community. Here's one of the the council members from Washington, D.C. just last week. We've learned from border towns like El Paso and Brownsville. Um, And in many ways, the governors of Texas and Arizona have turned us into a border town. She whines, just because of a few busloads of of immigrants being driven there, she whines that they've been turned into a border town. And and she doesn't sound too happy about that, (laughs) as you noticed. And, And I thought D.C., was a sanctuary city for immigrants. Isn't that what they like to say? They're a sanctuary city. I guess they only said that because they didn't have to deal with very many immigrants. NBC News put out this story on Friday about Ron DeSantis' stunt, and this is a real tweet from them, okay? It's outlandish because a pro-immigrant commentator actually said this. In fact, I retweeted it whenever I saw it, and I saved the tweet because I knew they would delete it And believe me, within a couple of hours, that's exactly what they did. But let me read this. It's a real tweet from NBC News. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis sending asylum seekers to Martha's Vineyard is like me taking my trash out and just driving it to different areas where I live and just throwing my trash there. That was a quote that NBC News put out from a founding member of a foundation that helps refugees. They put that quote out there. The actual quote from NBC News has this refugee organization comparing immigrants to trash. And they meant this as a slam on Republicans. But it actually reveals a little bit more about the mindset of liberals on places like NBC. And as I said, they deleted it. Note that NBC was more than happy to put that quote out there because they thought it made Republicans look bad. Once people started pointing out that calling immigrants trash, that actually makes those Democrats look bad. Then NBC deleted the tweet. (laughs) They call themselves unbiased, but we know the truth. They have different rules for different parties. This isn't the first time that immigrants have been flown around like a political football. President Biden flew immigrants to Florida in the middle of the night last year to punish Ron DeSantis because he was pushing back on some of the draconian COVID policies. And then when asked why it was okay for Biden to fly immigrants around the country, but not for DeSantis to. The White House press secretary had this to say. He said it was essentially no different than what the federal government has done in uh, sending, you know, flights in the middle of the night. That's the way it's characterized it. Uh, you know, uh, taking migrants to various different states. Do you have a response to that? So we are offering solutions. That's what the Biden-Harris administration has been doing since day one, including on the first day putting forth a comprehensive immigration reform to deal with this issue. 
Corinne Jean-Pierre. As we're going to delve into later, she must be the most incompetent press secretary that this government has ever seen. I mean, she knows the question is coming. She has all day to prepare for the question. It's her job to answer the question. And yet, when they ask the question, she has nothing ready to say. It's like this White House can't wrap their minds around the fact that anybody would ever dare to expect them to answer for what they've done. So they're never ready for it. And of course, their only answer they give, it's the same answer they give every time when they're called out on hypocrisy, that it's different rules for different parties. In other words, it's okay when the Democrats do it, but when the Republicans do it, it's heartless. And it was a little heartless of Ron DeSantis to fly these particular immigrants to Martha's Vineyard. I mean, they fled from Cuba to escape communism, but sending them to Martha's Vineyard, he sent them to the one place in America with more communists than any other. This is Luke Taylor, and welcome to a fiery, but mostly peaceful podcast. Welcome to Fake News, a fiery, but mostly peaceful podcast, where we dismantle the media misinformation that floods our news feeds all week long. The media tries to mislead you literally every day, but each episode of this podcast will leave you more equipped to correctly interpret the news and spot their deception quicker than before. This is Luke Taylor, an austere religious scholar, who will be your host today. I started college when I was 16 because I was very smart. But because I was 16, I was also very stupid. One time in my introductory English class, when I was a stupid 16-year-old, I was given an assignment which required me to write a 12-page paper on whatever I wanted. But it had to be a controversial issue. There were nine or ten topics that were just totally off-limits because they had been so overdone, but other than that, it was fair game. So since I was 16, and so stupid, I picked something I'd never heard of. It was called affirmative action. Affirmative action is the practice of selecting people for positions on the basis of their gender or their race, rather than their personal qualifications. And this can be in hiring for a job, or entry into college, any of those kind of things, and allowing these kinds of policies, or, or allowing them to be legal... It leads to things like diversity quotas. Inevitably, when affirmative action is in practice, well-qualified candidates will be disregarded in favor of less qualified candidates who have the skin color that the company needs to hire. And over time, this leads to companies which are less productive and the organization goes into decline. Those who are more liberal, they tend to favor affirmative action policies, saying that it leads to more representation of historically underrepresented races. It leads to more diversity, and they say that diversity makes us stronger. And then those who are more conservative, they tend to be against affirmative action, saying that affirmative action is reverse racism, that instead of simply not discriminating against blacks or, or other minorities, which was supposed to be the goal, now we've started to openly discriminate against whites. And as a stupid 16-year-old, who was very stupid, even I could not understand how affirmative action was even legal. If we don't discriminate in this country on the basis of race, then why was it okay to discriminate against white people? It wasn't reverse racism. It was just simply racism, pure and simple. It did not make sense to me as a stupid 16-year-old. And even now, when I'm twice that age, it still doesn't make sense. But after all this time, I've at least finally figured out why it doesn't make sense. And the reason it doesn't make sense is that it doesn't make sense. In case you missed it, I'll say that again. The reason it doesn't make sense is that it doesn't make sense. Now, how is that an answer? 
Well, keep listening and you'll find out today. What I want to talk about today is how whenever you hire on the basis of minority status, rather than qualifications, it just leads to disaster. It leads to harm for everyone involved, both for the person hired and for the company itself. And today I want to talk specifically about how that's true in the media sphere. We'll start with this headline from the Associated Press. They put out a headline on August 27th that said, Fed tackles inflation with its most diverse leadership ever. Over time, economists say a wider range of voices will deepen the Fed's perspective as it weighs the consequences of raising or lowering rates. It may also help diversify a profession that historically hasn't been seen as particularly welcoming to women and minorities. So they are excited. They're excitedly announcing that the Federal Reserve is more diverse than ever. More gay people, black people, uh, female, you know, women, people inside the Federal Reserve. It's never been so diverse. So while you're struggling to afford milk, eggs, gas, the basic necessities that were pretty cheap and abundant just three years ago, while you're struggling to get all those things, at least you can take some solace in this, that the people running the show, well, they're more diverse than ever. Now, I read something like that. I'm like, wow, what a, what a terrible time to be running a headline like that. This isn't the best time to be championing diversity when inflation is skyrocketing and the Fed is jumping interest rates. You know, that makes the diversity concept look really bad. To run that headline now, say, hey, while things have never been worse, look at us, we're more diverse than ever. That that just makes diversity look bad, doesn't it? Like, I can't think of a worse time to run a headline like that. As I said, when you hire on the basis of minority status rather than qualifications, it leads to disaster. As I said before, liberals want to say that diversity makes us stronger. There's no data to support that. But as I said, whenever well-qualified candidates are disregarded in favor of the less qualified candidates simply because of their skin color, the company is going to decline. And if you do that at the federal level and in charge of something as important as the Federal Reserve, well, the Federal Reserve will go into decline. And that's bad for everybody. Here's another one. And this is where we get the title of today's episode from. Um, Let's talk about the new NASA mission called Artemis. Critical race theory demands equality of all races. And so it's not fair, they say, that we've only had white people on the moon. NASA's next visit to the moon promises to put the first minority up there as well. Uh, NASA Artemis is the new space mission. And I think sometime in the next uh, three to five years, they're going to try to visit the moon again. And this is, this is how they promote NASA Artemis. I'm going to read you from their Twitter bio. It says, With Artemis, NASA will land the first woman and the first person of color on the moon. Take the next giant leap with us. So NASA's new space mission is called Artemis. It wants to visit the moon for the first time in about 50 years. Um, Apollo 11 touched down in 1969. And in American history, 12 people have visited the moon in six different missions. Uh, and they, these were between 1969 and 1972. And so actually now it has been exactly 50 years since man has been on the moon. And so NASA decided that, you know, after those first six missions, they'd kind of done all that they needed to do on the moon. Because uh, whenever you want to do something like go to the moon, there's a great cost involved. There's a great risk involved. And NASA just decided, I think quite wisely, they don't need to go to the moon just to go to the moon. So for all the years since then, for the past half century, they've decided there has not been a pressing enough reason 
to to take that plunge just because they could. You know, I respect that restraint. I don't think we need to be wasting money on unnecessary trips to the moon <laughs> if we've been there six times, kind of got all the info that we need. You know, okay, well, yeah, it, it's cool to go to the moon, but why bother? Why put us through that cost and that risk just just to say that we did? So I respect the fact that we haven't gone back to the moon for 50 years because we haven't found a reason to. But NASA, now, now they have decided, apparently, they have a sufficient reason to go back. It's because now it's time to get a minority on the moon, the final frontier, equality. It's not fair that only white people have gone to the moon. You know, one of the frustrating things about the narrative that Republicans are the party that's racist against, like, non-white people, um, it's not just that it's false. One of the most frustrating things about it is that it's the opposite of the truth. The Democrats, on on nearly a daily basis, they exhibit just a, a casual racism against black Americans, and the media just ignores it. I mean, they the media will gin up anger about totally normal totally non-racist things that Republicans or white people do. And then they just ignore the bigotry of the Democrats. And and there's no way to say that the comments like this from uh, Pennsylvania Democratic Senate candidate John Fetterman, that they're anything less than bigoted. Let me play this clip for you. This is why John Fetterman says that he's against voter ID. My concern about voting in Pennsylvania is the Republicans are looking to amend our constitution here in the state that mandates you know, ID every time, not just when you sign up, but every time, which is, again, outrageous. It's it just it's illogical and it's unfair. John Fetterman thinks it's racist to have voter ID laws because he says that black people just can't get IDs. It's it's unreasonable to expect them to be able to prove who they are. That's something we should do with white people. But black people, they can't handle something as simple as going down to the DMV and getting your ID card. Personally, I don't know how people could even survive in this culture without an ID. You need an ID to do just about anything. <laughs> you need an ID to go all kinds of places. You need an ID just to drive a car. Now, I know not everybody drives a car, but there's a million things you need ID for. When it comes to voting though, the Democrats want to convince us that somehow it's racist to demand that everybody show an ID whenever they vote. That this is something that black people are just incapable of. You heard John Fetterman there. He said it's illogical to to force black people to prove their identity, but they don't even have IDs. Why do so many Democrats think that black people are too incompetent to get an an identification? And why do they get away with saying this all the time? Well, it's because the media is in their back pocket. So I guess the Democratic, um, their conclusion, it's just better to have less secure elections. Actually, I'm not guessing that. I mean, that's literally what they want. They want less secure elections. They're the ones who go for this mail-in voting and for not having voter ID, which is such just, it's just such a basic common sense baseline thing that you would do if you want to make sure that only legitimate voters are voting. Uh, but no, they'll, they'll try to tell you it's racist if you want that, despite the fact that about 70% of black people want voter ID laws. Are you going to tell them it's racist? Now, for the media out there, for the journalists out there, um, it's your job to tell the story of the person whose voice is not being heard. So we've heard for years that Democrats say that that black people, it's just unfair and unreasonable to expect them to get an ID if they want to vote. So to all the journalists out there, I want to see you find the black person who somehow can't vote if voter ID was passed. If a law enforcing voter ID was passed, who out there is the black person or any minority 
who should be allowed to vote that now can't vote. Tell me that story, media. I don't see any logical reason why voter ID is not mandatory in all 50 states. As I said, it's like the obvious thing that you would do if you want to verify identity. We demand ID in hundreds of other avenues of life. Opening a bank account, buying a gun, entering an airport. We demand proof of identity. And we don't call it racist to demand that. It's just a basic thing that you do. But Democrats, they want to pretend that it's suddenly racist if you enforce ID laws whenever it comes to voting. Uh, and it's it's all a smokescreen, this idea that black people can't get IDs. If this were true, if this were a true fact, if it was really a thing that black people just can't get IDs, the media would be out there running stories on them. They'd be telling the stories of these black people who can't get IDs or, and so are disenfranchised whenever it comes to voting season. But the media can't run those stories because those people don't exist. This is all a smokescreen, a fraud. And by the way, this is not the first time Fetterman's been so openly racist. Back in 2013, he chased down an unarmed black jogger with a gun because Fetterman believed him to be a shooter. NBC News has the story. John Fetterman said he heard what sounded like gunfire and saw a man running away. So he reacted by getting his kid inside to safety before he called 911. What Fetterman did next, however still haunts him nine years later as he campaigns for the Democratic nomination for the Senate in Pennsylvania. He chased the man down with a shotgun and detained him until police arrived. It turned out that the man was jogging and wearing running clothes. According to the police report, the man was unarmed and said the sound of gunfire was actually fireworks, although two witnesses thought they heard shots too. And the man Fetterman pulled a gun on his black, Fetterman, the mayor of the Pittsburgh area borough of Braddock at the time, and now the state's lieutenant governor, he is white. So that's the story right there. At, back in 2013, this man who's running for Senate on the Democratic ticket over there in Pennsylvania, this man chased down a black jogger with a gun and detained him, totally innocent jogger, detained him until police arrived because he thought he heard gunshots that were actually fireworks, <laughs> which fireworks can sound like gunshots. But you know what? I'm not I'm not even going to jump down his throat over that. Um, could have been an innocent mistake. He might not have been racially profiling the guy. But what do we know? Well, if a Republican candidate had chased down a black guy who was just jogging through the neighborhood, then that's all you would hear about. His career would be over. But whenever a Democrat does it, he's leading in the polls in the swing state of Pennsylvania. The media just has no standards on this stuff. They have no principle. All they do is cover for the Democrats and hide their racism. You know, here's another example. Did you hear about the Democratic candidate down in, in North Carolina? Um, and this was a black woman. And she was caught on a secret camera by Project Veritas. She's talking about how she treats white people like poop. And that's not the word she uses. Now, she treats white people like poop and treats them like children. Listen to this. Listen to this clip that Project Veritas got a hold of. My district is heavily Republican and it's heavily white. Wow. I'm not a stranger to white people. I'm from a mostly white town. Yeah. And let me tell you one thing. You gotta know who you're dealing with. Like, yeah. you, you gotta treat them like sh. Like, I yeah. mean, that's the only way yeah. I respect you. Like, yeah. No. I, I, I keep them right here like, under my thumb. Like, yeah. that's where I keep them. Like, yeah. that, you have to. Yeah. Like, otherwise, they get out of control like kids. Trust me. <laughs> so, you know, like, for me, all these other people are tiptoeing around them, and I'm like, no, that's some white shit. I ain't doing that. Yeah. They be like, yeah. Yeah. well, I'm just going to say it's some white yeah. And that was my problem burning. Burnie. I'm not going to play the, the whole entire clip, but that was Crystal Matthews. She's running 
for office right now down in North Carolina. And and she's caught on camera saying that she treats white people like poop. Okay? I'm going to say poop because it's a family-friendly show. <laughs> but, hey, if a Republican had said this about black people, that, that they treat them like crap, that would be the top news story on every channel. But since a Democrat said it, good luck even finding this audio. You can Google this. Try it. I Googled this. I looked it up on YouTube. They totally blackballed Project Veritas. They're not going to show anything that Project Veritas says because Project Veritas catches the truth. And they get all these like undercover sting videos. I'm not sure how they do it, but it's quite impressive. Like they get they get all these videos and 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 leaks uh, about the Democrats and Project Veritas because of that. I mean, they've been kicked off Twitter. They've been I think they've been kicked off YouTube, kicked off all, all kicked off all these places. Um, they're basically on the blacklist as far as the media is concerned because the media doesn't do real journalism. But Project Veritas does. And so they try to block out anything about Project Veritas. But, you you know, rest assured, if a Republican had been caught doing this, saying this about, say, black people, you know, it'd be the top news story on every channel. But since a Democrat said it, it's hard. If you can go try looking it up, it's hard to even find this audio. Um, saying that you that you infantilize a different race and treat them badly and just kind of bragging about it like that. That's what racism is. And so this would be a pretty good time to talk about what's racist for this week. Everything is racist. I got a few of them here for you today. Let's let's start with why uh, running through the rain is racist. And so uh, an actress, I think it's Drew Barrymore, she posted a TikTok video of herself running through the rain, frolicking through the rain. And then a black lady was very upset about that, saying, no, only black people are allowed to frolic through the rain. This is not a joke. Listen. <laughs> you and I both know that you are capable of enjoying the rain and frolicking freely without filming it and then posting it to TikTok. Now, you've just co-signed, okay? You've just co-signed at least 3 million 8.5 by 11 front and back people who just go out of their way to disrespect and dismiss the boundaries that black creators have set. And now you're one of those people. So I guess my question would be, why? Why, why is it so important to all of you to treat us like we don't matter. So according to this lady, if you frolic through the rain and video yourself doing it, uh, you are somehow disenfranchising black people who invented the practice of frolicking through the rain while filming themselves. This is black erasure. If you want to frolic through the rain, fine. But don't film yourself doing it and put it on TikTok. And, and actually, I want to agree with that statement. Not because it's racist, but just because it's stupid and annoying. Okay, here's what else is racist for this week. The Godfather is racist. The San Gennaro Feast in Little Italy has banned any references to the Godfather. And this is some kind of feast that celebrates Italian culture. Uh, however, they put out a hit on the Godfather. They say, in our rules, nobody can sell anything with the Godfather or mobsters or anything that denigrates Italians, says John Frada, a member of the committee that runs the iconic Little Italy Festival held from September 15th through 25th. 
We don't need people thinking that the mob is running the feast. <laughs> so re references to the Godfather uh, are now considered racist. And then bouncing on trampolines. Here's a new one for you. Bouncing on trampolines is also, in case you didn't know, racist. Let me tell you all the like white supremacy I played that really allows a child to feel so protected and safe that they can do quite remarkable shit like this. Good for him. So someone watching white people jumping on a trampoline, doing flips and tricks and all that kind of stuff. He wants you to know it's white supremacy. This is what critical race theory does to people's brains. Okay. We could just ignore it. We could say, oh, okay, all this stuff, it's called racist all the time. Um, let's just ignore it because people are going to do this kind of stuff. I think we need to keep shining a light on it because it's showing the stupidity of this whole ideology called critical race theory. Uh, caloric, caloric deficits. By the way, one last one. Caloric deficits are racist. That's what I'm calling it. Um, actually, what they, what they say in the clip is that it's skinny people who are racist. I'm gonna prove to you why white people are the reason I'm fat today. If white people didn't go looking for spices, then various sea routes to Indian subcontinent and Africa and other places of the world would not get discovered. And if they didn't get discovered, then East India Company would never come to Indian subcontinent. And if they didn't come, then the fertility of the land would not get destroyed because they forced us to cultivate tobacco and dyes and opioid, things like that, and that destroyed the fertility of my country. And then if that didn't happen and if they didn't exploit and extract resources until my ancestors were left with nothing to eat, we wouldn't move to this grain-heavy, very little nutritious diet that we have today. She finishes with that while flipping off the camera. Actually, it goes on for like another minute. I had to, I had to cut it down because the stupid was just a little bit too much, even for this podcast. She, in 2022, she goes back hundreds of years to create this chain of events that leads to why today... She is fat, as she says. And by the way, I'm going to say, she's not even that fat. Like, I, I'm watching the video here. She's not someone that I would probably call fat, <laughs> but, but she's not that big. But but she wants you to know any re anything, any extra weight that she has, it's the fault of white people. And not just white people today, but white people of hundreds of years ago are ruining her personal life choices for today. If you're a fat lady, it's not because of white people. It's because of something called... Caloric deficit. That's whenever you eat more calories than what your body burns each day. That's really what it comes down to at the end of the day. So I guess caloric deficits are racist. Um, this is what a society that started with affirmative action about 40 years ago, what, has, what, what that kind of thinking has led to for today, critical race theory and critical space theory. Everything's about race. Everything is viewed through a lens of race, bouncing on trampolines, running through the rain, who's been to the moon. All of this stuff is viewed through some kind of racialized lens, and it ruins people's minds. Let's get back to talking about affirmative actions. One of my, one of my problems with affirmative action is that it's, it's used as a weapon against white people to minimize their presence, and that's the only direction that it's used in. In other words, what about areas where white people are historically underrepresented? 
such as in sports. You know, one thing I love about sports is that it's a pure meritocracy. The coaches want to win. The players want to win. The coaches go after the best players. And you can make millions of dollars in this country totally based on your physical ability and and your, I guess, your negotiating skills when it comes to signing a contract. But it's totally irrespective of of your skin color. Now, I've never whined that white people are underrepresented in basketball or football. Um, I don't whine about stuff like that because I live by actual principles. But for the left, they are only willing to do policies that would disenfranchise white people. They don't really want real equality. You know, I'll explain later their definition of equality. It's different from the real meaning. And, And here's the proof of that, though. They never complain that we need affirmative action in football or basketball. Um campus reform. They did an excellent video about this a while back. This was a year or two ago, but they exposed this. And I'm just going to play a segment of it, uh, of of when they asked people about applying the, the principles of affirmative action to sports. Listen to this. Hi, I'm Ophelia Jacobson with Campus Reform. It's game day here at the University of Florida, and we're talking with college students about diversity quotas today. Do students support these quotas in the workplace and in the college admissions process? And will these students change their mind if we apply those same diversity quotas to the Florida Gators football team? Let's find out. Talking first about diversity just in general, do you think diversity should be a factor in hiring decisions and in college admissions processes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, probably they should probably have diversity quotas for like college admissions and a bunch of other things. I think they already have quotas though, but like those are definitely a good thing. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's an absolute necessity. Yeah, everyone should have an equal part in anywhere, really. As a first-generation college student uh, from a Hispanic household, it's very important. Should we develop diversity quotas for, you know, the workplace or for college admissions? How they usually work is if a population is 35% Hispanic, then the school in that region, I guess, would also have to be 35% Hispanic and its student population to reflect the demographics of the larger community. Is that something that you would support? Yeah, I would support that. Yeah, I totally support that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that sounds pretty, that sounds pretty reasonable. Yeah, I think that makes sense to me. Yeah, Sam, I think it definitely should be taken into account. Absolutely, there should be more diversity in basically every single field. So what about diversity quotas on sports teams, college sports teams, do you guys think? No, I think that should be skill-based. Yeah, absolutely, same thing. Same thing, we want to win, no matter, like, <laughs> what you are. Uh, probably not. I feel like it should be based off talent. That's something that's a little bit different. With sports, it's definitely... Um, more like more emphasis placed on ability. Sports is different than college. Sports is not the same. I mean, talent is talent is talent is talent. Uh, I don't think we should. Like all, college sports is about like getting the best players for your team, and I don't think we should focus on which race or ethnicity to get. I think a diversity quota for any sports team, it it doesn't make much sense. It should be based on skill. Just let the let the skills shine, and whoever's the best player deserves to be on the team. Obviously, with sports, it's talent first over anything. I did some research about the demographics here at UF. Um, we're going to put this into like a hypothetical situation. So 50% of students here are white. This is from 2019. 19% are Hispanic, 8% are Asian, 5% are African American. If we were to apply that quota to the offensive lineup for the Florida Gators football team, this is what the lineup would look like. Okay, and that's probably not what it looks like at all. This is what yeah. it looks like right now. Yeah, um, I feel like they're just, they're probably just more skilled players, uh, cause, I mean, I guess you could say, like, more skilled people should get into schools, too, uh, I guess what I said could kind of be applied both. We'd probably be losing, because we recruit, like, based on skill, and if we recruited based on diversity, then 
we'd probably be worse. So you can look up the full video on YouTube if you want. Uh, you know, again, that's from Campus Reform, but it really puts things in perspective. And the left lies about everything. They don't really want real equality. They want diversity, for sure. But they don't really care about who's going to be hurt by that. And diversity quotas, they're bad for society in general. You know, as bad as it is that it makes all organizations weaker and less productive whenever you implement a diversity quota, I've always actually felt like the worst harm is is what is done to the black or the minority community whenever you do a diversity quota. And this was a point that I made even back when I was a stupid 16-year-old writing my English paper, that if you give people a position in your company simply because, say, they're black, nobody's going to respect their credentials then. Like you've disenfranchised that person. Instead of letting them earn their own way up and climb the chain of command, climb the ladder the, the normal way and, and, and deserve their credentials, no, instead they're just going to be thought of as a diversity hire. And, and that's what used to be called an affirmative action hire. Now they call them diversity hires. It's whenever you have somebody who isn't really qualified for their job, but they check a box, so they're put in. And I don't think that can be clearer than in this current administration. Uh, let's pause here for a message from our president. How would you say your mental focus is? Oh, it's focused. <laughs> I, say it's, I think it's, I, I haven't, look, I have trouble even mentioning, even saying to myself my own head the number of years. I no more think of myself as being as old as I am than fly. I mean, it's just not, uh, uh, I haven't observed anything in terms of, there's not things I don't do now that I did before, whether it's physical or mental or anything else. That's our president right there. If you, In case you had any doubts about whether President Biden was on top of things, there you go. But even if his head is in the clouds, at least he's got this crack team back at the White House running things for him, right? Well, I would like to compliment the diversity of this White House, except there's not a whole lot of diversity. They're all exactly the same in the most important way. They're terribly incompetent. Corinne Jean-Pierre, she was selected as the press secretary recently, and it's clear it was just because she's black and, and female and gay. And so she was put in charge of the Biden administration's public image as the press secretary. And I've said I've said before on this podcast, there's no point in hating on a press secretary. Um, it's, it's, you know, that's their job to lie. So I'm not going to come on here every single episode and complain about all the lies that the press secretary is telling over for the Biden administration. I thought it was dumb when they complained about Trump's press secretaries. I think it's dumb when people complain about the press secretary today. It's their job to lie. It's literally their job to spin things, to spin everything as good news for the administration, no matter what happens. That's just, that's their job. Okay. So I don't hate on her for doing her job, but I just kind of want to point out she's really, really bad at her job because a good press secretary, you know, when they're asked a tough question, they admit, they at least try to make it look like they're answering the question, you know, and, and that they would be really clever with their dodge. So clever that um, she makes you think she's answering the question whenever she actually doesn't. You know, for example, Corinne Jean-Pierre, she was recently asked why it's bad for Republicans to question the 2020 election when she used to say back in 2016 and 2018 that those elections were stolen. But just in trying to understand the new attention on the MAGA Republicans, you tweeted 
in 2016, oh, Trump stole an oh. election. You tweeted, I was waiting, Peter, when you were going to ask me that question. Well, great. Here we go. <laughs> you tweeted Trump stole an election. You tweeted Brian Kemp stole an election. If denying election results yeah. is extreme now, yeah. why was so it So let's, let's be really clear. That that comparison that you made is just ridiculous. I have How been, I have ridiculous. been, well, you're asking me, you're asking me a question. Yes. Let me answer it. And you said it was Wait, ridiculous. I was, I was talking specifically at that time of what was happening with voting rights and the, what was in danger of voting rights. That's what I was speaking to at the time. <laughs> so that's, that's even where the media, like the liberal media, the independent, that's where they cut off the clip. <laughs> Because <laughs> she calls it ridiculous. The end. End of story. She calls it ridiculous that yeah that, yeah that she should be held to the same standard that she holds Republicans to. It's totally ridiculous. Well, of course it's okay when Democrats question an election. It's okay for a Democrat to call an election illegitimate. But Republicans, well, it's it's ridiculous to expect Democrats to be held to the same standard. That they, that they say about the Republicans, the MAGA Republicans who are so dangerous because they don't trust all the 2020 election results. Um, she, you know, she says, she says, I was waiting for you to ask me about that. Well, if, if she was waiting for it, why doesn't she have an answer for it? You know, all she's, oh, well, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That's not even an answer. If she was waiting for him to ask it, why didn't she have an answer ready to go? Well, the reason is that there is no answer. Okay. I mean, that's, that's basically all that there is to it. There is no answer. She's caught being a hypocrite. End of story. And if the liberal media wasn't carrying water for her, everybody would know this. But there's so many people who just believe what the media says. Like, here's the headline on this video that, like I said, it came from The Independent. I mean, people can't see what a joke this headline is. White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre called Fox News' Peter Ducci question ridiculous. That's their headline on the piece. It's not that... The press secretary was caught in a blatant contradiction, blatantly being a hypocrite. It's not that. No, the headline is that she called a, being questioned about it ridiculous. And then in the subhead, the right wing journalist questioned Pierre over historic tweets from 2016. <laughs> the t yeah, he questioned her about her historic tweets. Well, you can't ask people questions about tweets when they're historic. I mean, what does historic even mean? He asked her about her historic tweets. Were her did her tweets make history? <laughs> are they historic because they happened before today and are therefore in history? I mean, what does that even mean to say her historic tweets? This is just what liberal media does when it has no good answer, nothing that can help themselves. It's ridiculous to question someone about their historic tweets. And you know, the, here's why Peter Dushi is the only name that you know for all the various news organizations who cover the White House. Only Peter Ducey of, Co of Fox News is the only one whose name you even know. No one else knows the names of any of those other reporters. And why is that? Well, because Ducey is the only one in that room who regularly asks any tough questions, who regularly pushes back against the White House narratives. So he's the only one that the liberal media does these hit pieces about. He's the only actual journalist doing journalism in that room. And I also love this response that that uh, Karine Jean-Pierre gave when she was asked why President Biden is taking so many vacations. Listen to this response. Uh, 
17% of Americans have, according to this Gallup poll, have canceled vacations or traveled less. The president's been to his beach house six times this year. He's been to North and South Carolina on vacation. Has the president himself considered personally reducing his spending because of inflation or had the administration uh, reduced spending? So can I, I, I'll say this. Um, the times that the president has gone to Delaware, uh, not including, and we were very clear that when he went to South Carolina uh, in August and uh, Rehoboth, he was going to go spend time with his family, which every president does. That is not unusual. That is not uncommon uh, to do. And the president has a right to spend time with his family, just like every other American across the country. So her response is that, you know, he needs to see his family. Everyone has a right to see their family. And, you know, here's the thing. That's a non-answer. And, and it's just, and, and my only point is that she's really bad at her job because it's such a blatant non-answer. Like nobody can defend that kind of response. Why is the president taking so many more vacations than is typical for a president to take? We all know the reason. It's because he, you know, he works for one week and he has to take two weeks off to let his brain recuperate after that hard week of work. Um, but the, she tries to cover it up by saying, well, he needs to see his family. Yeah, everybody should get to see their family. That's That's nice. But do you need to go see him twice a month? You know, I learned a, on a podcast recently that on a different podcast that we spend more money on presidential vacations for our president than England spends on the entire royal family for like everything. Our vacation budget for our president costs more than the entire English family costs over in England. The royal family, I mean. Um, now, I'm not going to be one of those people who ever complains that the president takes a vacation. You know, I, anytime like... There was these news stories that, you know, President Obama took this many vacations and it was more than all the presidents before. And then there's these headlines about how Trump took all these vacations and played so much golf and it's more than all the presidents before. And now now Biden's setting the new record for the most vacations that any president takes. And I want to tell you this. I've never been one to complain when the president's on vacation. I like it when they're on vacation. It means they're not around to, to screw as much stuff up. So, you know, that I'm just kind of glad to hear that he's on vacation. Although it doesn't really matter in Biden's case, I guess, because even when he's there, he's not the one running the show anyway. Um, it, no, it's this most diverse White House ever who's running the show. And if you're wondering how that's going, well, look at the face of the White House, the, of, of their public image, Karine Jean-Pierre, whose job is to pretend to answer questions, and, and she can't even do that. And that's what you get whenever you have a diversity hire. Look at what a disaster it is. So I have a little suggestion for you guys. If you want to send a minority into space, send her to the moon. It'd be the first gay person, first black person, and first woman to do a lunar landing. She checks all the boxes, okay? Send her to the moon. Don't bring her back till she learns how to lie a little bit more effectively. And then what about Katanji Brown-Jackson? Um, she's the Supreme Court nominee, black woman, that Biden, well, I shouldn't say nominee. She's been confirmed to the court now. And first black woman on the court, but she can't even define what a woman is. Uh, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? N not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. Or if you're looking for another disastrous diversity hire, who's a better example of this than Kamala Harris? Uh, listen to this. <laughs> you can do this with just about any time she goes out in public and speaks. But listen to this. The governor and I, and we were all um, doing a tour of the library here. 
and um, talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time in terms of what we need to do to lay these wires, what we need to do to create these jobs. And there is such great significance to the passage of time when we think about a day in the life of our children. I mean, she's so bad at public speaking, which is a really important part of the job if you're a vice president. But how can you do public speaking this much and still be so bad at it? Here's a, here's another clip. This is an interview she's doing with Chuck Todd over the weekend about the border crisis and how the border is out of control. Listen, listen to this is her doing her best on one of the most far left, you know, most in her back pocket news organizations out there. One of the most far left journalists out there on the scene, Chuck Todd. Listen to how that listen to how this goes. Final topic here. Since uh, we're here in Texas, I want to ask you about the border. Would you call the border secure? I think that there is no question that we have to do what the president and I asked Congress to do. Is the first request we made, pass a bill to create a pathway to citizenship. The border is secure, but we also have a broken immigration system, in particular over the last four years before we came in, and it needs to be fixed. We're going to have two million people cross this border for the first time ever. You're confident this border is secure? We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. But there are still a lot of problems that we are trying to fix. This is what you get, guys, whenever you do a diversity hire. And you can't tell me she wasn't at a diversity hire because... President Biden announced well in advance that he was selecting a black woman for his vice president. So you can't say he picked her because she's the most well-qualified candidate for the job. He'd already said that he was picking her for her skin color. And this is the point I was making before. Well, now no one can ever look at her and say, oh, look at how far black women have come. They can earn a position as being selected for vice president. Well, it's obvious she didn't earn anything. She was selected simply because of a couple boxes that she checked that gets Democrats excited. And this was a point I even made as a stupid 16-year-old. When you hire people for their skin color or for their gender, it makes them look bad. It's bad for the person you pick. It delegitimizes them. It's bad for the race in general. Because now when any well-qualified candidate of that race get picked for a position... No one's going to take them as seriously. It infantilizes them. It makes them look like they can't get ahead in life unless a white person allows them to. It takes the onus of responsibility for success off of them. And it puts the responsibility for the advancement of black people on white people. Now, I think black people should earn their own achievements and then be celebrated for it whenever they do. Like when a black person gets put on the Supreme Court, someone like Clarence Thomas and they've done so because they're extremely qualified and they've earned that spot, like Clarence Thomas. Though that is a sign of how much society has advanced. But when a black person is elevated to a position that they aren't qualified for on the basis of their skin color, that makes the black community look worse, not better. So I have, I have a dream of a day when people are judged on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. I think we were there at one point, and, and may we someday get back to that. And according to the left, by the way, <laughs> saying that makes me racist. 
but who cares because they think everything is racist. So earlier, I made a confusing statement that might have looked like a cop-out. I said the affirmative action, I said that it doesn't make sense, and the reason it doesn't make sense is that it doesn't make sense. And that statement itself probably doesn't make sense. So let me break it down. When I say affirmative action can't make sense, it's because I'm a conservative. Whenever I say I want a fair and equal society, what I mean is that I want everybody to have the same opportunities, and I want our laws to reflect that everybody has equal opportunity. So when I see affirmative action saying that you have to hire a certain number of white people or black people or men or women or whatever, that doesn't make sense because now not everybody has an equal chance to get that job. So from my worldview, affirmative action couldn't make sense because it doesn't make sense. And as a stupid 16-year-old, I thought back then that words had meaning. So I thought that equality meant equality and freedom meant freedom and that everybody was operating off the same dictionary. And so it was hard for me to see how affirmative action could make sense to other people when it didn't make any sense to me. But affirmative action, it does make sense to a liberal because liberals also like to talk about equality and freedom, but they have different understandings of those words. When liberals say that they want a fair and equal society, they want everybody to have the same outcome. They want everybody to make the same amount of money, to have the same type of housing, everybody to have the same standard of living. So affirmative action makes sense to them, but it can't make sense to me. Again, conservatives want equality of opportunity and liberals want equality of outcome. Now, I think both are kind of noble goals, but both of those can't be possible. You can't have equality of opportunity if you force equality of outcome. And you can't have equality of outcome if you allow equality of opportunity. So we all want freedom. We all want equality. But we have to figure out, we have to decide which one supersedes the other. Now, as I said, I think both are, are noble goals. I think you can make a good argument for both. It'd be great if we could have both. But let's talk reality for a minute. We can't. We can't have both. It goes against human nature. And so we have to decide which one to go for. Now, there's a lot of ways we could go to decide this. I, I would make a moral argument myself, but let's do it differently because now we've been able to test both over the past several decades. Over the past you know, few decades that affirmative action has been practiced in different avenues. Well, we, we don't have to even talk about the morality of it or the theory of it. Let's talk about the actual outcomes of it. If we say there's too much inequality in outcome in our criminal justice system, so we implement criminal justice reform, or we march through the streets trying to defund the police, well, what's the outcome of that? We don't have to talk about theories. Again, we have the stats. We, have, we know that crime is skyrocketing right now. The murder rate, it rose 30% in one year back in 2020. 30% in one year, and that's the largest single-year increase in murder in the history of this country. That's what the Black Lives Matter movement got you, ladies and gentlemen. Y'all march around and say, defund the police, defund the police. We know the outcome of that now. The largest one-year increase in murder in the history of this country. We want to sit around and wonder what defund the police could lead to. We have the data. It's continued to rise since then, too, by the way. Now, we were told that if we did the defund the police movement, that it was going to make society better for black people in this country— Instead, 
more black people are getting killed than ever. That's what woke policies do. And because this is a show about the media, what's the media's role in this? Well, for one thing, it has deceived the populace. Well, let's go back to right before the Black Lives Matter riots of 2020. We were told that the police are racist, that they're gunning down black people in the streets all the time and just getting away with it. But how many black people were killed by police in 2019? Well, the answer to that is 27. 27, that's all. And of those 27, almost all of them were justified shootings. You know, those black men were unarmed, but most of them were going for a weapon or they were attacking a police officer with their bare hands. Uh, In all but a few of those cases, the police were found to have acted totally appropriately in those shootings. And as I said, the media deceived the populace. Let let me read from a study. This was done by the Skeptic Research Center, and it revealed the extent to which the public is misinformed on the issue of police violence. Participants across the political spectrum in the National Representative Survey were asked how many unarmed black men were killed by police in 2019. The results were revealing. Overall, nearly half of surveyed liberals, okay, 44%, they estimated that roughly between 1,000 and 10,000 unarmed black men were killed, whereas 20% of conservatives estimated the same. Most notably, the majority of respondents in each political category believed that police killed unarmed black men at an exponentially higher rate than in reality. Over 80% of liberals guessed at least 100 armed black men were killed compared to 66% of moderates and 54% of conservatives. But according to a close database compiled by Mapping Police Violence, the actual number of black men killed by the police in 2019 is 27. So in case I know that was a lot of data, let me, let me just give you the baseline what's most important from that. The actual number is 27. 80% of liberals think it's at least 100 per year. Some think it's, you know, uh, 44%. They think it's over 1,000. The actual number is 27. So over 80% of liberals are way off. Over 50% of conservatives are way off. Now, why is that? Why are they so... Why is their estimation of how many unarmed black people are killed by police, why is it so much higher in people's imaginations than it actually is in reality? Is it because liberals are stupid? Well, generally, no. It's because they believe the media, and the media lies every day. And that's why I'm here to tell you these things, to tell you how the media lies every single day. I'm not saying the people are stupid. The media is trying to make them stupid. And so I found it a little poignant that there there was this female newscaster in Tennessee doing a news story recently, and she broke down crying because she was so overwhelmed with all the crime and the murder and the rape stories that have been coming out in the news just here lately over in Memphis, Tennessee. You simply do not know where this man is going to go. Stay inside. Tell the people you love. Call them, text them, email them. Tell them to stay inside. This is not a joke. This is an extremely dangerous situation. And I know... Memphis is tired right now. Yeah, I'm good. I'm with you all. Memphis is tired right now. The Eliza Fletcher kidnapping and abduction and murder. The other crimes we've had this year leading up to this. It's difficult right now. So I want to feel sorry for her. But since she's a journalist, I have to wonder. I have to ask. 
Was she one of these woke liberals saying that we need police reform back in 2020 because the myth out there was that we needed to defund the police? And I'm only asking because it seemed like 90% of the journalistic world was calling for that back then. Now, I can sympathize with her tears, but does she realize that this crime wave in Memphis, it's because of the liberal movements and the liberal policies that we've been getting since 2020? Does she realize that you know, I'm not sure what she did in her personal life. Maybe she wasn't a defund the police activist. Maybe she wasn't like 90% of journalists. But I just have to wonder, does she realize that it was those policies that led to the problems we're seeing today? The crime, the rapes, the murder that we're seeing today in places like where she lives? Does she realize she's crying because of what liberal policies do? If a mosquito's buzzing around you and it's trying to land on your skin, shooing it away is not going to work. The only thing that works when a mosquito is trying to land on you, is to slap it. Now, apply that problem to life. Only one thing works whenever you're dealing with criminals. You need policies that are tough on crime. Policies that are tough on criminals. Not policies that pretend that all the criminals out there are the real victims of society. And, you know, the things they do, they have good reasons for it. Soft on crime policies that villainize the police and make the criminals out to be sympathetic Those just lead to more crime and more crying journalists. And as much as I would like to see more crying journalists, I'd rather see safer streets on the major cities of our country. I'd rather do what works. So everyone out there, look at the results of woke leftist policies and do what works. And anyone can understand that. Even a 16 year old who was very stupid, but at least I wasn't as stupid as a woke leftist. Thanks for listening to the Cross References podcast. And just remember, if anyone tells you that Corinne Jean-Pierre knows how to lie, that's just fake news. (laughs) 